0: Right, Welcome back, everybody, for what I'm sure will be a slightly chaotic episode, um, because we have a couple beings of chaos <laughs> with us today who are also smart and science-y. It's going to be great. Um, this is Queer Halftime. My name is Becca. I use she, they pronouns. And would our chaos beings like to introduce themselves?
1: Sure. I can go first. Uh, my name is Finn. I use they, them pronouns, and I am the research and evaluation coordinator at the Queer and Trans Health Collective
2: hi and the other chaos being is me (laughs) and my name is uh sammy i use he him pronouns and i work with finn on a couple different projects at the qthc uh involving research and data analysis and all those kind of sciencey things
0: yeah sammy has been trying to teach me math and it's been going like ups and downs
2: Once you got a computer that wasn't the slowest thing I've ever seen, you picked it up pretty quick. You're doing good. (laughs) Um,
0: Yeah, and we're here to talk today about Samuel's research that you're doing. So, do you want to give us like a little overview about what that's all about?
1: Yeah, I'd love to. Um, So, we are currently working on a province-wide. A survey that looks at substance use within the 2 LGBTQIA plus community. Um, so the survey ran last month and is closed now. So what Sammy and I are doing is looking at all of the data that we gathered. Um, Sammy, do you remember how many folks replied to the survey?
2: Yeah, so we had um, just over 200 people who uh, clicked on the survey um, you know, we're intent on answering it. And then after getting through some of the our screening questions, we had a total of 154 people who completed the survey. So um, in the span of a couple of weeks, that's, I think, a little bit more than we were expecting. So we were pretty happy with those numbers.
1: And those in terms of like those screening criteria, basically, to be able to do the survey, you had to be um, someone who's living in Alberta, someone who is a member of the queer and trans community you had to be over 18 and you had to have used substances recently and um we were looking at substances that have not been legalized so we did not look at alcohol and marijuana use Um, we looked at all other substances um and we defined recently as within the last three months um of course knowing that like people aren't sitting there like with a calendar tracking when they <laughs> last used um but but that was like kind of a ballpark figure to give a a sense of of when we were looking at cool
0: and how like in depth did it go
2: yeah it um it ended up being quite a large uh survey which was really exciting so it captured a lot of information on like who these people are in terms of the demographics so like Uh, you know where are they living Um, what does their family structure look like education age ethnicity uh, gender sexual orientation kind of all of those things Um, then we asked about um, six different kind of main categories of substances those being uppers downers hallucinogens prescription drugs inhalants And dissociatives. And dissociatives. Thank you, Finn. Um, What are dissociatives? um, So
1: things like, for example, GHB that will make you feel kind of like out of your body. (sighs) Okay. Totally. It's
0: like... I know what all the other things are. I'm like, I've not heard that one though. Totally.
2: Yeah. So we asked asked about those both um, and uh, questions around those about like, do you use them? How often? When did you start using them? Um, Are you interested in learning about using these things more safely? So things about that. Then we also asked questions about like equipment use, whether folks, you know, were sharing supplies or whether they had access to clean and safe supplies. And then we also asked about some intervention pieces. So like, are folks aware of and accessing things like naloxone kits and peer counseling services and uh, things like that? So so we got, um, we were able to ask on kind of a lot of important features surrounding this kind of idea of substance use, who's using, how are they using and and really how can we best adapt and develop new kind of outreach programs and resources to like support these folks.
1: Which is really a main motivation for, for doing this survey, right? Like um, we at QTHC run a harm reduction program called Peer and Peer, um, and it is very much designed to meet folks where they're at, you know, on their substance use journey, whether they want to um basically just learn how to use more safely if they want to like make shifts to their substance use if they want to quit entirely like all of those are goals that you know the program supports people with and um we offer peer-based counseling um, we offer harm reduction supplies um so um and then we also um offer we have naloxone test strips um so Yeah, basically just trying to kind of create a a sort of more holistic, well-rounded harm reduction program that really supports all of all of the needs of our community. And it's um, the only like program in Alberta that's really run like by and for the queer and trans community. It's a harm reduction program. Um, So it's, yes, it's a pretty cool program.
0: Nice. And it is a very cool program. I'm a big fan. Um, If somebody asks you why you targeted this survey specifically on the queer and trans community, um, and not just substance users as a whole, why would you, how would you explain that?
1: Yeah, so I think there are um, some specific like trends that we see within the queer and trans community, which is why we wanted to to really just focus the survey on our community. Um, so one of the things that you see more often um, in the queer and trans community compared to say just the general population um, is sexualized substance use or um, what is known as partying and playing Um, so that's often using um, inhalants like poppers um, to enhance uh, sexual experience Um, and so that's kind of typically more common amongst um, what we in the kind of public health world call a GBMSM, gay by men who have sex with men. Um, but it is also, you know, it's not necessarily exclusively limited to that population, but it is, it is more common amongst those folks. Um, so knowing that we have sort of specific substances that are used in specific ways within our community, it's important to tailor that research Um, The other thing is that um, there may be specific needs within our community that we don't even know about because we're really underrepresented within a lot of research. Um, So, you know, I, before this survey, tried to look at some of the national data around substance use that's available kind of publicly and, like, they're not even collecting sexuality. So we don't even know if, um, like there's specific needs right so it's, it's really important to actually have that captured so that we can identify areas for for new programming and services
2: yeah I think it was 2000 and I can't it's either 2001 or 2000 and, or no oh my god <laughs> edit Ricky ricka um chaos the chaos <laughs> begins um
0: yeah. well now i'm not oh, no. it. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: say, I, okay bad with dates it's either 2021 or 2022 when the canadian census finally implemented hmm. a gender option that was more nuanced than like male female other so um just to kind of like build on to finn's point why we targeted this um kind of these folks specifically is in a lot of these like like in research in general, a lot of these broader, um, broader surveys and collection instruments that target like all substance users or all residents of Alberta or whatever, um, members in our community are often like very underrepresented. And so by kind of focusing on them and advertising our survey and recruiting folks in spaces and ways that we know are more relevant for members of our community, we can hopefully, uh, help reach those that Uh, aren't necessarily uh, represented in kind of mainstream like data.
0: Very cool. Yeah, that seems like a really big like historical oversight to leave such like a large aspect of identity out.
1: Absolutely. And then the other thing is like, I, I mean, I'm sure you know this, Becca, from from all of the discussions we've had of investigators, but I really try to avoid research from a, a kind of deficits-based approach. like I, I, We do need to identify what the problems are so that we can address them. Um, but like, I think just focusing on what's wrong, you know, it, it does, doesn't really help us move forward productively. Um, that said, it's really important to acknowledge that um, as a whole, the queer and trans community like does face disparities, you know, we um, deal with different, like, social isolation than folks who aren't queer and trans, like, folks may have had experiences coming out where they've lost connection with biofamily, or they're having trouble connecting to their community, you know, especially folks who are in rural communities um, don't necessarily have the same supports that we do here in larger urban centers. Um, so, we did want to make sure the survey also captured like rural areas as well. Um, and one of the biggest reasons that folks identified for why they were using was self medicating for kind of like psychological or emotional reasons, right? And so, knowing that um, these sorts of challenges exist within our community and that people are turning to substances to cope with them um that really highlights why it's so important to have interventions that are targeted at supporting and uplifting our community right like it's kind of uh sort of almost addressing the issue at the root cause as opposed Mm -hmm. to like you know just being like here's a clean needle like that doesn't really really solve the problem exactly (laughs) exactly um, you know, so being able to kind of have data around the fact that like we do have these specific challenges within our community and it is having an impact, um, you know, and and not everyone is able to access good supports and, you know, like maybe as like a trans person, I have had some shitty experiences in the medical system and it makes me less interested in growing and accessing the medical system again, right? Um, And so having research that's by and for the community that is informing programming and supports that are, again, by and for the community is, is really important because it means people are more likely to be comfortable accessing it.
0: Yeah. And what would you say to people who are like, so often when studies come out, there are always people that are like, well, yeah, of course, like I could have told you that people were using it to cope. Right. Like, you know, like the water is wet studies kind of thing um like how would you respond to people who are like what is the need for this if we already kind of had that idea
1: one of the very practical realities is that we are a nonprofit which means that we rely heavily on grant funding and unfortunately most funders don't like you to just say like because I said so yeah um, and so having actual data to back up, what we know to be true is really, really beneficial um, for that. Um, And to be able to also show that our programs like exist for a reason, right? Like, yeah, we can all tell you. um, But to be able to say like, hey, like all of these people said this is what they actually want to see is really, really important. Absolutely. And I think I think, yeah,
2: even Finn and I were actually talking about this uh, right before our call, because we were absolutely not preparing right up until we jumped on this podcast. <laughs> okay. um, but um, we were talking about, the, it seems like a lot of these community-led uh, studies, it's often us uncovering mostly things like, yeah, we absolutely knew that this was going on but yeah the value of being able to put like some some numbers and some some quotes and like some evidence behind can be really powerful um both for the reasons that Finn mentioned as well as just seeing like you know we know the problems or the disparities are bad but like how how actually bad are they like how how wide are these gaps or whatever like for example um When we asked folks about if they were aware of certain interventions and if they had accessed them, Um, for example, like about 70% of folks uh, in the survey said that they know where to access clean and safe uh, drug use supply substance use supplies, but Uh, only 40% were actually accessing them. And same with like peer supports, just over 50 knew where to access like peer supports and counselling, but only about 20% of them had actually accessed these supports. So clearly that's one example of like, a pretty large discrepancy about like knowledge and actual access and in our analysis we're going to get into the specifics of like what are the reasons why folks are having like why does this disparity exist but again that's just an example of how this study really highlights how big these these gaps are
0: yeah yeah like you know you can say hey people are using it to cope and also here are the numbers like i feel like that's a lot more Mm -hmm. convincing to people um and then sort of on the other side of things was there anything that was really surprising or that like stood out that you didn't expect um uh
2: it's okay well I guess like one I'll say two things that are wholly unrelated (laughs) um so one of them is uh a specific question we asked about how has COVID um impacted your uh, substance use. So has it decreased? Has it increased? Has it not changed? And I personally, having done other public health work in the COVID space, thought that we'd see like a pretty big trend. I wasn't sure whether it would be like an increase for maybe some of those coping reasons, maybe a decrease from access reasons, whatever. But there was actually a pretty even split between decreasing, no change, and increasing. So overall, it seemed like Folks were pretty split on how COVID was impacting their substance use. And that might vary depending on other factors that we'll get into. Um, but something, I wouldn't say that this is a surprise, but something that was really heartening is uh, like many surveys at the end, we just had a question, you know, do you have any additional comments or like anything else you'd like to add, just as a bit of a catch-all? And there were a lot of folks that were simply like, thank you for doing this work. Like it is so nice to see like myself reflected in a survey and especially in one that doesn't feel like judgmental or stigmatizing or whatever. So, so I guess that was maybe a pleasant surprise, just how much like even doing this maybe stuffy like survey or whatever, actually like just by doing the survey seemed to make some people feel seen and like their, their identities and experiences were of value and not just from that like deficits based uh, lens that Finn was talking about yeah.
1: Which was so exciting to see as a community-based researcher that um, you know it's always our goal to really make sure that community members see themselves in the survey um, and like there's things that we do to try to achieve that um, like we work with the community advisory team um, so it's made up of folks who have worked with peer and peer before and um, they advise kind of the development of different harm reduction programs and we kind of piggybacked off that team and said hey would you be interested in helping us develop the survey and they were like absolutely um and so it's all folks who have lived experience with various substance use some of whom are current substance users some of whom are former substance users Um, and they really really help shape the survey so that Um, We were asking questions in a way that, like, felt good for people, you know, Um, and even things like the order of the survey, um, like, instead of jumping into, like, a whole bunch of, like, immediately, like, tell me about all the substances you use, like, put that a little bit later, like, like, warm up a little bit, like, you know, (laughs) ease into it. um, So, it was great that we had had that team that we were able to work with and it was really rewarding to see that um kind of all of the labor that we put into it from kind of their experience our own experience designing surveys you know with our community and and the fact that everyone who on the survey team you know is is queer or trans um like I think I think that really goes to show the power of of community-based research and so it was yeah really really lovely to see that we got that kind of feedback.
2: Totally and one one thing I wanted to add that I think was like a little funny is like Finn and I and the other um uh like uh researchers on the team are like well versed in different forms of community-based research and analysis of course but um especially Finn and I uh, we're, were not as familiar or experts with like the field of substance use specifically. And I just thought it was very funny that we, um we like asked questions in the survey and, and brought it to the team and, and we're asking things like, have you used a nitrates and nitrous oxides and this and that? And people were like, uh, what the hell are you talking about? Like, do, like poppers whip it. Like, you know, like, just giving that kind of community lay friendly, like not academic, stuffy yeah. researcher uh, perspective was so invaluable because sometimes I think we get a little caught up in our researcher brains and we're like, "Wait, that's not how people talk." We're not like, "Hey, Bethan, you do any good uh, meal nitrates lately?" Yikes! That's my
0: surest it's way to sound like an art like... exactly, exactly. <laughs>
2: that's a good point yeah it's like I think the initial initial iteration of the survey was very like y'all are narcs yeah (laughs) red flag (laughs) I'm not gonna answer this
0: and like I'm assuming it was relatively anonymous right or like okay yeah
1: Um, folks had the option of providing an email if they wanted to be entered in a draw for we offered like incentives for the survey Um, So folks could opt in um, for that and also provide their email address if they want us to send them the results of the survey or be contacted for further surveys. Um, Mm -hmm. But we separate that completely from the analysis. So when we're actually looking at the data, we are not linking it to anyone's information at all.
0: Cool. Yeah, I figured, you know, if it's about substance use, people would probably be pretty hesitant to you know, put in names and contact info and things, especially if it's, yeah, that first iteration that's asking them all these very technical, narky kind of questions. (laughs) Yeah. And
2: I hope, like, I mean, I guess there's no really way of gauging whether or not this made a difference. I hope it did. But with a lot of the questions, too, we were really trying to be explicit about, like, no judgment, no whatever. Like, there were certain, uh, like, we asked questions about, um, um, like, whether folks wanted to change their use like like I'm happy with the amount I use right now or oh I'd like to try and reduce or I'd like to quit or whatever but we really frame those questions around like we're not here to judge and there's like no right answer we're just interested in where you're at so um, to that piece about like yeah not being narky or, or judgy or whatever <laughs> we just really wanted to be like just tell us what's up and like whatever whatever you're going through is like totally totally fine and we want to hear about it right
1: and I think we did an okay job of that because we did get like I'm happy with where my use is at, or like, you know, like people were comfortable saying that, right? Like, so I, it seems to me like it didn't come across as, as, you know, super judgmental, which is, which is great, which is the goal because that's really what, you know, like the peer and peer program is all about, right? Like, just empowering people to make the choices that they want to make that feel good for them.
0: Yeah. And I feel like even in an anonymous survey, like if people feel like they're being judged, that would, probably change their answers right like the truthfulness Absolutely. of them 100 yeah you yeah. don't really think about survey design too much until you take a bad survey and then it's like <laughs> more thought needed but then
2: and it's funny because like on the other side of that even though this is something that we've done before critiquing a bad survey and knowing where to fix it versus like designing your yeah. own survey are two totally different beasts so it was it was great that we had a, a big team that was able to, you know, provide a lot of feedback and redo it and be like, this doesn't make sense or we should ask about this. Right. So, yeah,
0: <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and so what kind of like actions can come out of this? Like what I know you mentioned you can use stats and things for funding to create more like harm reduction resources. Is that kind of the main goal or like what are you kind of hoping to do now that you have this data?
1: that's probably the biggest goal um, is to really like, now that we have this Alberta specific data um, is to really kind of expand the work that we're already doing support and uplift the work that we're already doing. Cause like we were talking earlier, there weren't really a lot of surprises, right? Like a lot of it was like, yeah, like what you're doing is needed. Right. And so, you know, we're able to to really support that. Um, but we are also very excited because we have decided to do the survey again um this time on a national level oh that's awesome so yeah so um nothing like this has really been done before um so we're really really excited to take everything that we learned from doing the survey on a provincial scale and work with some of the peer and peer programs that are across the country and some of other other national partners and scale it up um, and really look at kind of what regional trends are there and and also what kind of a really broad snapshot of substance use and substance use goals within the community across the country look like so we're currently in the process of putting together a grant application to fund that project that's huge that's amazing
2: there are PNP groups across Canada, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The one in Edmonton and the one in Ottawa are the like kind of most established long running ones, but there are a couple others as well that are newer. Um, and so, yeah, we already have kind of built in like infrastructure, I guess you could say for the um, scaling up the survey and um each of those programs has their own community advisory team so we'll be able to connect with those folks and um, one of the things that I know will be a challenge um, scaling up this survey is the like slang basically that's used for various substances does vary regionally Um, so it'll be interesting to try to decide like how we refer to some of the different substances um, so that no matter where you are in the country like you know which substance specifically it is that we're asking about while still being kind of more informal and not just like amyl nitrates.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean yeah that does make sense because some provinces have stupid words for things looking at you BC and your bunny hugs. (laughs) (laughs) i went to university in bc and somebody was talking about like they lost their bunny hug and i'm like what the are you talking about (laughs) so yeah if people have different words for hoodie i can only imagine all the words for different yeah substances yeah
2: and i feel like my not that this is relevant at all to our conversation but i feel like my limited knowledge of um uh, like drug slang, or for, or pardon me, substance uh, slang, are like um, from like the eighties instructional educational videos, and it's like the parents trying to relate to like their adolescent. It's like, oh, uh, are you are you up with the pixie dust, young <laughs> man, or the the crank, or whatever. And I'm like, I, I I feel like most of those are probably out of date and also not used in the correct context. Oh my
0: gosh. Yeah. Like the old dare programs that were like, yeah, yeah you know, all these kids huffing all this stuff. And we were like, wait, you can huff that? What? Like, what? Uh,
2: <laughs> what? I got an idea. And then idea. there would be like kids in
0: the back just like huffing Sharpies or glue all of a sudden because they never realized they could do it. It's like, this is backfiring right. instantaneously, lady. <laughs> like, <laughs>
1: It's almost like abstinence-based approaches don't work. Almost. Yeah.
0: It's kind of on that note. And like, I'm assuming, knowing a little about funding, um, you probably can't be like super partisan with your research, but like, could this kind of research be used for like decriminalization efforts and like furthering
1: that? I mean, I would love for it to be. Um, I <laughs> so I will say that um, this... Provincial survey. Um, we ran it entirely as a community-based survey. We did not go through an institutional ethics board. Um, okay. So that does place limits on kind of where and how we share the data. Um, so we're not going to be publishing any academic journal articles, for example. Um, coming out of this survey Um, and that is something that we are looking to shift for the national survey. We are planning on applying for ethics for it. Um, It's just a bit longer of a process um, but uh, we decided that it was worth it to go through that process. Um, For the national survey, one of the reasons being that it will allow us to um, actually publish academic articles um, and when you're looking at more of that kind of larger scale policies change um, that's something that's important to be able to do. Um, the other thing I'll say to re- one of the reasons that we want to go through ethics is so that we can include folks under the age of 18 mm-hmm. in our survey um, which like a lot of times 18 is like the age of consent right so for like things like this but um people under the age of 18 can participate in surveys as long as like you're, you know, you convince your ethics board, there's a reason to, right? And we know that there is substance use that's happening within like, you know, for youth, right? Like it's it's a thing. Like, We asked in the survey, when did you start using the substance and like-
2: Yeah, folks like as young as like 10, 11, 12, Or when they were starting and like quite a bit of course in the you know 15 16 17 the teens range so we're by by not being able to include these folks we're kind of ignoring a pretty substantial population potentially right and like yeah populate when also we think about like providing services and supports this group uh requires you know very different supports potentially than somebody in their like 20s or 30s or or 40s right so yeah important to consider consider them as well
1: when I was reading through so Sammy is our numbers guy um and like I'll do stats but it's not like it doesn't bring me joy in the same way um so my um my job <laughs> when it came to the analysis, um was looking at um where we'd provided space for people to prefer, like give us more open feedback or like kind of just like write something for us, um and so, um one of the things that we asked is like what kind of harm reduction services or supports do you want to see and just like gave people space to talk about that. And we had multiple folks who talked about how some of the kind of more mainstream support groups, like, you know, like NA or whatever, um, they were like, there's just so many boomers there. And like, it's not my scene, you know, like, we need like youth targeted or like early 20s kind of targeted supports. Um, so that is like a thing that that folks told us, which I can totally see. Yeah. like.
0: What is an NA and like AA have like a religious bent to it?
1: Oh, I have so many capital F <laughs> <about local laughs> programs. Um, <laughs> but the reality is they're like, one of the things that's accessible, right. It's free. Yeah. Um, so like, I think a lot of folks do end up reaching out to those supports when other kind of perhaps supports that are a better fit aren't available.
0: That's fair. That's fair. Um, and, like, I mean, I have my questions, but I'm not used to talking to people about their research. So, like, go ahead. Is there anything that, like, you really want to talk about that, like, I haven't asked you about or that you've been like, I really want to talk about this thing we found or like.
2: Uh, um, I mean, I feel like we we got to talk about, at least on my end, I I talked, got to bring up a lot of my main talking points Oh, I guess just one thing I think was cool just in terms of, like, who we heard from is even in these kind of targeted surveys that are aimed towards members of the queer and trans community, um, oftentimes there's, like, quite a large proportion of, like, cis, cis white gay men, right, tends to be, like, our biggest represented. But that was not, in fact, the largest represented group um, within our population. So almost 50% of our population identified as uh, trans or um, kind of some other kind of gender nonconforming. Gender queer, non-binary. Yeah. Right. And then in terms of orientation, gay wasn't even in the top three. The bisexuals came out to play. So there was <laughs> I like about so about 45% of our respondents were uh bisexual. The next common was queer at 35% and then pansexual at uh 23%. So um that was exciting to see. I mean, the majority of the respondents were still white, which is kind of unsurprising, but we did also get um a good mix of of folks identifying uh as other ethnicities and then actually a good amount of like newcomers. So folks that weren't born in Canada as well. So yeah, I think even, even though 150 odd folks in terms of maybe like a census, isn't a lot of people, we still managed to capture, I think like a really very diverse group of folks. And so I'm really excited about, um, kind of the nuances of experiences and where some of the similarities are, where some of the differences are. Um, and again, more so to highlight like how we can tailor programs and resources as opposed to like this group is doing, you know, worse than this group. Cause yeah, we don't want to keep contributing yeah. uh, to that narrative. I, I like to frame it more as of like, what, what, uh you know if we're looking at like this group or that group it's like what what are their specific needs or like what what specific things can we do for that group that might be more important to them than you know this other group right um but yeah I'd say that 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 that's really cool. Yeah I don't know about you Finn is there any any exciting things that you wanted to add?
1: Gosh um I guess one thing we haven't talked about um, is that, and especially like Sammy mentioned, we had a lot of folks who identified as like trans, non-binary, genderqueer, etc. Um, we did ask about um, hormone use and hormone injection um, because one of the services Peer & Peer offers is safe injection supplies for hormones. And um, which is which is great okay, because we did have a couple of folks who had actually been had had financial barriers to accessing hormone injection supplies, like safe injection supplies for that. Um, so yeah, yeah oh, sorry just kind of asked, oh, no, <laughs> I was just going to not, quickly yeah, okay, yeah.
2: add context to that. About a third of our respondents indicated that they um, either were currently or had been. Uh, undergoing hormone replacement therapy and essentially all of them mentioned that like they have experienced barriers to that process at some point which again is like one of those are we surprised absolutely not but the fact that we can say you know like a bulk of our participants are going through this process and essentially all of them are having issues is still like uh, a a really solid piece of evidence to be like look at it (laughs) look at this it is something we need to address look <laughs> at it <laughs> but
1: it's... But yeah we asked like kind of where folks were getting the supplies and you know if they'd ever had to share supplies and and, and things like that so it was nice to have some some kind of like trans-specific data Interesting.
0: i never even thought about like needing safe injection like sites and supplies for hormones that's yeah that's wild but glad that you have, like, numbers to put behind it now.
1: It's like, back to the survey design question, it was an interesting one to decide, like, where and how to ask about it because it's not about substance use, right? Right. But it's still, like, a service that we provide, Um, and we wanted to put little kind of, like, tidbits kind of in the survey Um, for folks who maybe didn't know that, like, we provide free, like, needles for injecting your hormones um things like that we also asked um folks if they'd heard of the um like samaritan act um and i don't know if sammy i'm putting you super on the spot if you looked at like how many folks had or hadn't actually if you've gotten a chance to analyze that data but
2: yet but for um, our viewers at home uh slash listeners slash (laughs) i don't know how technology works Um, Can you give like a really brief, like what is the Good
1: Samaritan Act? Yeah, absolutely. So essentially it states that if you have to call like emergency services um, and you're, because you're responding to um, like a drug poisoning, um, you're not gonna get arrested for possession um, of like kind of basically personal use amounts um so it's designed to ensure that people actually do feel comfortable making those calls um because sometimes people would be like well I can't I can't call the cops because like I can't call an ambulance because the cops are going to come and then I'm going to get arrested and like it's just not it's not a good scene um it is important to note that like it doesn't it's not a complete like you're never ever going to get arrested (laughs) like um Things like outstanding warrants or like trafficking um, substances like that does not fall under the Good Samaritan Act, but um, but basically having like substances on your person like they're not gonna yeah they're not gonna arrest you for that Um, and yeah I don't I don't I haven't looked at the data to know exactly what percentage of folks said yes or no but um, I know that like in the comments a couple folks at the end, we're like, I didn't know that was a thing. That was really great to learn. Um, So we tried to kind of keep that in mind in our survey too, to be actually able to provide information.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that also extends to rendering first aid. Like if you're trained and you do CPR and you break somebody's ribs, they can't sue you for that because you're supposed to break their ribs. Um, But yeah, you looked like you
1: had a I, thought I did. I was going to say another, <laughs> another kind of like, did you know um, that we had in the survey was around um, transmission of HIV and Hep C. And we asked specific questions around if folks knew that um, they could be transmitted through needles, if it could be transmitted through sharing like snorting supplies like straws, and if it could be that it could be transmitted through sharing the pipes um and there were definitely a couple of folks that were like oh shit, i didn't know that it could be transmitted through something like other than needles like i thought it was just needles and i've been sharing those things and like ooh, good to know um like obviously the risk level is kind of different depending on this su- like supply that you're sharing um but the risk is still still absolutely there um so i think it was Helpful to it'll be helpful for us to see how many folks kind of had that awareness before the survey so that we have a sense of whether or not there's like education that's needed around that. Um, and then also the survey itself acts as a form of education.
2: Yeah, so just because I'm a wizard, I just pulled up and did those statistics right now. And so in terms of the Good Samaritan Act, it looks like about uh, just over 20% of our respondents, so almost a quarter, didn't know that this was a thing. So like a decent amount of folks weren't aware. And then in terms of that awareness of uh, transmitting, um Not, uh, like most folks, like about 95% were aware of the risk of transmitting HIV, but only about 70% of them uh, were with hep C. So there's also a bit of a a difference there in terms of like...
1: For for which, for which like mode of transmission? I
2: don't know. (laughs) Um, The sharing, 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 sharing equipment... (laughs)
1: <laughs> like, didn't we break it down? Like oh needle. Oh, no. <laughs> <drop>? <laughs> ah! Um
2: uh, transmission. You're seeing you're yeah. seeing science oh happen in real time, everybody.
1: <laughs> it's amazing.
2: Um uh injection equipment and supplies.
1: Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense that like 95% of folks would have responded that they knew that HIV could kind of be transmitted that way.
2: Right. Yeah. Oh wait! So sorry. I will. I will backtrack on what I said. So yeah, it's ninety five percent. So the the transmission was all about HIV. I said Hep C, but it's all about HIV. The question. Oh, one more time. Rewind. So we asked about HIV and Hep C together. And 95% of folks were aware that they could transmit HIV or Hep C by sharing injection equipment and supplies, which is not surprising. But less, about 70% knew that they could share the same um, risk of infection from inhalation equipment and like snorting equipment. So, um, you know, that potentially tells us that the kind of the education and the information around like injection uh, sharing is maybe a little bit more a bit more widespread a bit more robust than like no actually these other um, things inhalation snorting that might seem less um, body involved whatever are still still pose a risk right so that could highlight a potential like area for for more outreach for example <laughs> yeah. mm. remember that agent of chaos thing i feel like that really manifested <laughs>
0: in the past this is like what our investigators so. meetings are like every wednesday night and they're wonderful they're a little highlight <laughs> 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 also i feel like the people watching should like keep count of sammy's peace signs um so many make a little game of it Uh, but like that kind of makes sense that disparity right because I feel like we all grew up with like the panic around disposed needles and like we've done a couple episodes actually about HIV education and like I've talked about this like rumor that if you were in a crowd like people would just go around with like AIDS needles quote-unquote and like just stick people um, which obviously was not a thing and wouldn't also wouldn't work because it's very very delicate virus Um, but yeah you think less like you know in your nose that's a mucous membrane if somebody has like a nosebleed or something and then you mm-hmm. go to yeah use it and it can go through or if you have um yeah like sores or anything that's
2: yeah I mean I think the the key yeah. takeaway that's a great point and I love that I love that the word mucous membrane has come up in a podcast oh <laughs> uh, I love that
0: it's not the first
1: time it oh has God, I this. love that yeah this
2: membrane um design. two more everyone who's listening um <laughs> <laughs> that like <laughs> regardless of of the 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 type of equipment that you're supplying like the mode of use as they say, um, there's always like a certain amount of risk associated with like sharing equipment, of course. So like the the kind of the best and the safest ways if you can to always access like safe, clean kind of individual use um, equipment, right?, um, but uh yeah, sorry, I just thought I would I would add that.
1: Um, <laughs>
0: but yeah, perfect. Yeah. Was there anything else y'all wanted to talk about?
1: I feel like we've we've talked pretty thoroughly. This has been lovely. Yeah. I oh I guess, oh, um, I guess um, oh, just, just
2: uh, oh sorry, so sorry, classic man um adding it more um I was just gonna say that yeah in terms of like where we're at so over the next couple of weeks we're finishing up our analyses and writing our kind of like big report on our findings um and that that's um I I was going to say will be done but it has to be done due to different like reporting requirements <laughs> that'll be done by the end of the month and kind of with all of our knowledge and information that that we're gonna hopefully be sharing through you know our official websites and social media and some of our channels, we're hoping to have kind of different, um, different, I guess, levels of information being that we want to have kind of smaller bite sized, like key takeaways or some more like graphic infographics that are overwhelming folks with information. But of course, linking back to those more fulsome reports and uh, statistics and whatever, if folks are interested in in learning more, because we also know that if we write like a 20, 30, 40 page report, you know, who's going to read that, but folks might see a post about like, oh, X number of folks who use downers, Are worried about their substances being laced. To learn more, like you can read this report here and then they can go and find, you know, the things that are relevant for them, right?
1: On which note, I will plug our socials and all of that stuff. Um, So you can find us on um, Instagram and Facebook at Our Health YEG. And our website is OurHealthGag.ca. Um, so I'm sure once that report is up, it will be kind of the thing that's on the front page of our website for a while. Um, so we will say, see it there. And we also have a tab on our website, um, for community-based research. And you can see some examples of, of previous research that the QTHC has done.
0: Yeah. And those will be in the episode yeah. description if you want to be lazy cool. and not have to type it in yourself. Um, and I, I don't know if you two have ever listened to the podcast before. Um, it's okay if you haven't. <laughs> uh, we always end with a little thing we call queer joy, um, which is just something that has brought you joy this past week. It could be an interaction, a piece of media, just something that happened. Um, for me, I can go first. Kelsey and I are uh, got approval to go to a conference in Kelowna in like less than two weeks because we thought it was in June and then we looked it up It was like, oh, shit um so that's really exciting it's a yeah it's like a pride conference it's got a focus on like rural serving pride organizations so it's very up our alley um they asked our pronouns in the registration which was exciting change from the last conference we went to (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so that's micro joy um do you guys have one
1: um I guess micro joy I hung out with some friends last night from the Queer Climbing Collective, which is a um, group that I helped put together basically to make climbing accessible to the queer and trans community. And we meet every Monday night um, at one of the gyms in Edmonton. And we just have like, a rad a rad time and it always just brings me joy to see the group come together and we just submitted a grant to fund an outdoor trip for the group this summer so fingers crossed that that happens because I love the mountains and I love nothing more than queers in the mountains
0: love it that sounds so fun
2: (laughs) I love that yeah I guess my my aspect of queer joy is also something tied to something very stressful. Okay. Um, but that's okay because I contain multitudes. So Absolutely. it's okay I they will it. um but um in my work outside of QTHC, I actually I work at the University of Alberta as an epidemiology researcher. So very public health, very population statistics, very whatever. And um the <laughs> like, how does that bring you joy? <laughs> it's statistics. So but um uh Something that's very exciting is it was a lot of work to put together, but my supervisor and I just finished a grant that we're applying for that Finn is actually a part of um, looking at um, Alberta and BC and looking at how climate change impacts the health of members of our community. So um, yeah, just very excited that that's like being sent off and There's basically nobody right now who's doing that kind of uh, specific work. So I think it's a really strong application and a really cool project. So fingers crossed that we get that money.
0: (laughs) That sounds really interesting. (laughs) that would be, yeah, I hope you get it. Cause that, yeah, that sounds really, really cool thing to look into.
2: Totally. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, people are always like, wait, climate change, how is that relevant for like the gays or like the, you know, queer and trans folks? And oh my god, now I'm just plugging it. But basically, the idea behind that is like, um, I mean, climate change affects everyone, but it doesn't affect everyone the same. And so we wanted to look again at members of our community and see like, what are their specific needs? What are their specific impacts? How do we target them? Which I think has been kind of a theme throughout this, this talk just like how how do we help our people the best that we can right
1: yeah
0: yeah that's I love it that sounds really cool um thank you for joining me Finn and Sammy I feel like we kept it pretty not chaotic which I'm kind of surprised by it it went really well um (laughs) and thank you everybody for joining us uh be kind to yourself and others and we'll see you next week bye
1: bye Bye.